0: Last week, we, we talked about, we discussed, according to Ephesians 2.10, that we're God's masterpieces. That ought to make you feel good, that God created you of one of a kind. We looked at Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, I think it is, and it says, uh, what does it say? Uh, let me look at my notes. Uh, that our real life, that we have a real life, and our real life is hidden in Jesus. Just like what we're talking today. You can live. Yeah, you can exist. And when this battery runs out in this earth suit, then you can go on and go to hell. But God's not willing that any should perish. And he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He did everything he could to, so you wouldn't suffer that darkness forever. To bring you into the kingdom of God to make you sons and daughters of the Almighty. Don't let me get started preaching, Dad. Any minutes to do that. But you got a real life. And it's time we start living a real life. Because we've been resurrected. We came out of the tomb. I don't know why I always point this way for the tomb. But the tomb is over here apparently in my mind. And Lazarus, we talked about how he came out of the darkness. He still had grave clothes, but he wasn't in the dark no more. There was still some unwrapping to do, but he came out. And you got, you know what? He called him forth. He could have stayed in there. But we're not going to stay in there. We're going to come out and we're going to let God's word unwrap us today. Don't you want to overcome? I guarantee you there's something. Maybe it's buried under a bunch of stuff. Maybe Maybe it's buried under, you've changed, you've tried to mold your desires into worldly exploits, and find satisfaction everywhere else. But I guarantee you there's something in your heart crying out for greatness to overcome the things of this world. First John 5, 5 says, who is he that overcomes the world? Dude like that right there. Who is he that overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That is your victory, your faith, what you believe. You shall overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. But the problem is, is we've been in the tomb and we begin to think that's who we are. That our past dictates our future. That we can't come out into the light. And we mark ourselves by worldly labels. We let other people define us. Tell us who we are and what we can't do. Do you know when Jesus started his ministry... He called Peter, he called Andrew, he called James, he called John, he called a, a disciple named Philip, and Philip ran to get his buddy Nathaniel. And that's the way it's supposed to work. When you get called, you run and get your buddy. And Philip went and told Nathaniel, we found him, man. We have found the Messiah. We have found the Holy One we've been waiting on. It's him, it's him. And Nathaniel says, who is he? He says, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? You see, Nazareth must have not had a good reputation. Maybe somebody might say, can any good thing come out of Horn Lake? (laughs) But I'll tell you, something good came out of there, didn't it? Today's message is entitled, From Manger to world changer. I mean, his parents couldn't find room at the end. He was born in a manger, but it didn't stop him. He became a world changer and you will be able to if you will follow his plan. Amen. You know, I was born in Mississippi. A lot of people like to say we're the poorest state in America. And I lived in one of the poorest and the smallest towns and in Mississippi, called Shaw. Shaw was such a small town, you could pretty much throw a rock from one end to the other. Sitting there, a blip on the 61 highway. To save money, they put, you are entering into Shaw, and on the backside, they said, you are leaving Shaw. (laughs) Population 12 and two goats. No, I'm just kidding. I'm exaggerating a little bit. But until I was eight years old, I was raised in Shaw, Mississippi. And then me and my mom and my little brother moved to Memphis. But we always went back every weekend. But we could have—we lived in the middle of a cotton field. We didn't even live in town. We lived in the middle of a cotton field. My grandparents moved, you know, were stones throw away in another patch of cotton. <laughs> and it could have been easy just to say, well, this is all we know. This is all we'll ever be. This is our life. It's already set for us. But then in 1976, there was a movie come out. Can anybody guess what it was? Huh? (laughs) If anybody knows me. Rocky. (laughs) There was a movie come out named Rocky. And I've never seen nothing like that. This regular old hometown boy from, from the Bronx, or Philadelphia, was he from Philadelphia? Inner city, had nothing, but he worked hard. I can almost hear that theme music, you know, the Rocky thing. always get me fired up on the inside because I, and, and, and so I went to my, my grandparents' house, you know, and um, I, I went through my, my grandfather's stuff in the barn. Yeah. Man, I went out there and I made me a set of dumbbells. I made me... I started doing push-ups like never before. I was 11 years old. I started running around the barn. I made it two times around. I was talking about... So I stopped and just started acting like I was at the top of the steps, you know. Celebrating. <laughs> Why? Because something in me out in the middle of that cotton patch still longed for greatness. Something in us believes that there's something better for us. And then when I met Jesus... I mean, I like Rocky Balboa, but when I met Jesus, oh, that's when everything changed. That's when everything changed. When I met Jesus, I forgot about my rough start because he forgot about it. I forgot about what the world said about me because he forgot about it. I began to find out what he said is the truth. Philippians 3.13, Apostle Paul says this. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. How many of us have achieved it? We're still achieving. But I focus on this one thing. Look at your neighbor and say, what's my one thing? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's forgetting the past. You can't move forward dragging the past with you. Amen. Amen. What do they say? You, you drive in your car and you're looking in the rearview mirror, you're going to run into a ditch. I've never seen a bag lady pushing a shop car, shopping cart in a 440 re- relay race. You got to be free to run your race. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. See, God is always in the front, leading. Don't let your Nazareth dictate your future, your your Shaw or whatever your thing is. Whatever they called you in the second grade. Whatever they labeled you with. Whatever the doctors have prescribed for you. You have been resurrected. Say Resurrected. Behold, all things have become new. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> he said, I press on. Now, pressing is hard. But I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Say, resurrected. resurrected. Stop identifying with your past and start identifying with your Lord. You're no longer a victim. Okay, so you suffered abuse. You suffered rejection, tragedy, calamity. You name it. You suffered it. But you're no longer a victim. You are a victor in Christ Jesus. You know, when we came out of that tomb, it's still over there. We came out to a fork in the road. You could go back, you could take that wide path to comfort and conformity and compromise. but that's not what your heart's crying for. Amen. Your heart's crying for Jesus. The reason you came out because you called him Lord. Now let him be. Lord is not just a, a weak term. It's not just a, something you throw in front of somebody's name. It's not just a title. It, it is who he is. And if you'll let him be Lord of your life, you will rise from your manger to be a world changer. Yeah. But the battle is between your ears. <clears throat> I'm going to give you nine things today that led, that Jesus led by example. How he went from little town of Nazareth to sitting at the right hand of God. The first thing I see is that he found himself in the Bible, the scriptures that he had. He found himself. He studied the scripture. It says when he was 12 years old, he was teaching the the elders in the temple. They couldn't imagine. They were asking him questions. They were astonished at a 12-year-old had actually cracked the Bible and got in there and started learning. And that's what we want our kids to be. Back there learning the Word of God. They're not too young. He had gotten in the Bible, you see. And he said, you know what? That's me. He found himself in the Word of God. He was the first one to believe that he is the Son of God. What do you see when you're to you look in the Word? You've got to find yourself in Him. i tell you what I see. I see Galatians 3.26 says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We're all sons of God. And if He's a son of God, so am I. Through faith in Him. Because I'm in Christ Jesus. I have been adopted into the family of God. I am a son of Christ. Of God. Luke 2.52 says Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. You don't grow in anything apart from this word. This is the seed that's supposed to be growing in you. Nothing good is going to be produced in your life if, if all the seed that you're getting is from TV, from your social media feed. This is the seed that you want growing in your heart. And you're supposed to guard your heart out with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life. You don't like where your life is right now? Start planting new seeds. Start seeing who God called you to be. It's beautiful. <laughs> so he found himself in the scripture, number one. Number two, he prayed out each step of his life. You say, well, he was, he was God on the earth. Why does he need to pray? If Jesus needed to pray, we certainly need to pray. He prayed early in the morning. Sometimes it says he prayed all night. Sometimes he sent the crowds away. Sometimes he slipped away. But he always made time to pray. Sometimes he prayed with his disciples. Sometimes he prayed for his disciples. Despite his disciples. But in the garden that night, he prayed. He agonized in prayer until he knew God's will. Do you agonize in prayer to find out God's will? Do you care about God's will in your life? How Christ-like is your prayer life? Well, we can see from how Christ-like your life is. Find yourself in the Word of God. Martin Luther said, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. (laughs) That sounds so backwards to us, doesn't it? He said, I got a lot of stuff to do, so I'm going to spend the first three hours in prayer. We're like, no, I got a lot of stuff to do, so I ain't going to get to pray today. I don't have time to pray. If anybody could have said, I don't have time to pray, it was Jesus. He was mobbed by people. He, had, Like I said, he had to slip away. He had to climb up on a mountain. He had to pray all night where everybody else was asleep. But he prayed. And he sweat as it were, great drops of blood, agonizing in prayer to make sure he got God's will right in his life. How is your prayer life? Man, I got so much to do this week. I'm going to have to start with prayer. I'm going to have to pray for three hours. You start putting first things first in your life and see what happens. How many of us say, well, I I, would like to pray, but man, something always gets in the way devil will make sure of it yep, yeah. busy as being under satan's yoke the devil will make sure you don't have time to pray but you got to make it a priority we can not afford not to pray Amen. so he, he prayed out each step of his life number three he remained humble and obedient if anybody in the world could have said hey look at me ain't i all that and we would have all said yes you are lord you are you are tremendous you deserve every accolade you deserve everything every bit of praise every bit of clapping hand lifting shouting that we could imagine yes but he didn't say hey look at me he only said what the father said he only did what the father did he said in fact he said not my will but thine be done he was humble and obedient isn't there a scripture that says that the humble and obedient shall eat the good of the land or is it something along those lines well I know it's something similar John eight fifty, Jesus says and though I have no wish to glorify myself see that's some of our problem we care what other people think too much some people have created an alter ego on social media. Just say, say, hey, look at me. They just want to glorify themselves. I know growing up, you know, I wanted to be famous. I wanted to do these things. I wanted to be seen. But that's not the model that Jesus sets forth. He said, I have no wish to glorify myself. God is going to glorify me. He is the true judge. He only came to please one, and it was the Father. He knew that's where true glory comes from. Everything else is a a fake, a counterfeit, a facase. Isn't that what they say? (laughs) And what freedom. What freedom when I got out from under that obligation to be something in people's eyes. You know, even when you're pleasing the Lord, there's going to be people that, that are going to say, you're not doing it right. <laughs> you can live your life almost perfectly, and you're going to have detractors. And some of us are running around trying to fix this mess and this fire over here. These people said this. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. And we're people pleasers. Jesus lived his life 100% sin free. All he did was went about doing good. And they crucified him. You can't please people. Please stop. (laughs) That's part of all that growing bigger on the inside I used to preach about a lot. You, You simply can't. You simply can't get to where God's calling you if you're chasing people's feelings around. If you know you're right with God, then that's all that matters. Do what pleases Him, and it'll bring you great freedom. That's what Jesus did. He didn't have to defend himself like a sheep before the shearers, He was silent. They were accusing him and everything. He didn't answer all their questions. He knew who he was. He had found himself in the word. So he remained humble and obedient. Number four, he followed righteousness. And righteousness is what? Simply doing the right thing. God's way of doing things. In Jeremiah thirty-three fifteen, 15, it says, In those days, at that time, the prophet says, I will raise up a righteous descendant From King David's line. Say righteous. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. And isn't that Jesus? And then when Jesus got here, what did he tell us? In Matthew 6.33, he said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things shall be added unto you. You know our concern about what we're going to wear. What we're going to eat what we're going to drive, what we're going to live in, you know. Martha, Martha, you know, we're just so concerned about so many things. But just follow God's right way of doing things, and and you won't have any worries, you won't have any needs, you won't have any lack. The Bible says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. Obedience brings blessing. Always has, always will. Aren't we talking about simplifying today? Well, just simply do the right thing. You say, Pastor, when do, what do I need to do in this situation? The right thing. But, Pastor, if I do this, it's going to cause all this. What do I need to do? The right thing. It may cause a bunch of cards to fall in the, in the process, especially at first what does it say that that righteous living will hmm, almost slipped a scripture in on you I can't remember what it says but the righteous anyway obedience brings blessing so just do the right thing when is it a good time to do the right thing all right What if one of them people you want to please don't think it's the right thing? It's still the right thing. Where do you find the right thing? All right. Number five, he received the Holy Spirit without measure. He was fully God. He was fully man. But I believe the miracles that he performed was the Holy Spirit working through him because he was our example. He showed us how to do it. He said, Don't be stiff necked and always do reject the Holy Ghost, but welcome the Holy Spirit in your life. Want more of Him. And that's the way, way He did things that, that proved He was who He says He is, is by the power of the Holy Ghost. Can people tell that you are filled with the Holy Ghost? They can if you are filled with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Man, this is just a simple message. I mean, living in a world that don't believe right is right and wrong is wrong, and males are males and females are females, and it's refreshing just to hear a message that's so simple, isn't it? Paul describing our success in Second Corinthians three eighteen says, "But we all, we all, I don't, <laughs> he." He must have had a little southern in him. We all, or donkey, I don't know. But we all, with unveiled face, behold, as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And that could keep on going. From glory to glory to glory. Line upon line, precept upon precept, from glory to glory. We're being transformed. And how? Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That's how you begin to look like Jesus because you have the Spirit of Jesus. That's how you begin to shine. That's where your glory, that's where you reflect the glory of God because you have the glory of God on the inside of you. That's where the power is. The same power that raised Christ from the tomb. Raised our mortal bodies. Don't reject the Holy Spirit. Don't be so carnally minded that you can't. I'm not doing any of that stuff I can't see, taste, smell, or touch. I'm not going to one of them churches. Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That's how we're transformed. Isn't that who Jesus said, I'm going to send to transform you? Isn't that, He said it's better that I go away so that I can send the Holy Spirit to live in you, to guide you, to comfort you, to lead you into all truth. You do always reject the Holy Ghost. <sighs> I said that on the Lord's behalf. <sighs> Jesus says, How long shall I be with you? <laughs> How long shall I put up with you? <laughs> I'm getting tired, boss. <laughs> Well, if you've rejected the Holy Spirit in the past, welcome to the club. but I'm telling you if we're going to move forward from here, it's going to be by the power of the Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit, I don't know why I'm fishing to do this. Holy Spirit, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So he received the Holy Spirit without measure. And number six, he understood and cherished his purpose. He knew what he was here to do. To Pilate, he said in John 18, 37, you say rightly that I'm a king. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm a king of kings. He said, for this cause. In other words, this is why I came. I was born. For this cause, I have come into the world that I might bear witness to the truth. That you may know the truth and the truth may set you free. That you may see what God really meant when he said these things. That I may bear witness to the truth and everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And our job is to bear witness to that same truth. That points to that same way and the truth. Which is Jesus. And in 2 Corinthians 5, we're Christ ambassadors. That is our job. You want to say, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do down here. What is my purpose? I don't feel like my life has any meaning. You have been hired as an ambassador for the kingdom of God. You're a representative from a kingdom you don't even yet been to, except in your heart. And if Jesus is going to come down, if we're going to sit before the judgment seat of Christ, if we were to get our job review right now, would we get a raise? Would we get a promotion? Or would we be like, oh, I'm just happy to be still employed. (laughs) You want to know your purpose? to bear witness to the truth It's to let the holy spirit let the glory of god shine in you you say but but life seems so much more complicated i've got to have a job i've got to pay the rent i've got to do all these things yes you do (laughs) and through all that is your avenues to meet people and to talk to people and to bear witness to the truth in society not for you to set up stakes down here and, and build your kingdom, but for you to spread the kingdom of God in your everyday life. You say, well, does that mean we are all got to be preachers and teachers and pastors and evangelists and all? No. We need you to be janitors and plumbers and, and architects and engineers and teachers. God needs us in this world. Spreading the light. So he understood his purpose. Number seven, he did not reject his cross. Do you know we got a cross to bear? See, that's what That's what keeps a lot of people from following the Lord. That's what keeps some of these purple chairs empty. Because they say, You're always telling us about taking up our cross. And I don't want to go to a church like that. I want to go to a church where they tell me that uh, everything's good with me not taking up my cross. But he didn't reject his cross. He gave his life. He lived his life all in service and sacrifice to others. He said, no man taketh my life from me. I lay it down. And you see, deep calls into deep. A, ser- a sermon like this, some people's going to say, I ain't there, man. I ain't doing all that. But some people are stirred. Some people right now are like, I'm ready to take up my cross. I'm ready to follow him. That's what we do here. We each come and learn that we may go and teach, making true disciples who will take up their cross and follow the Lord. We're not interested in in, in numbers and big buildings and playing religious games. And God's not interested in that at all. He changed the world with 12 disciples who were serious about taking up their cross. And did. You know, I was teaching... Uh, the life group leader training this week. And getting, we're getting ready and we'll have new life groups and all that coming up in the new semester. And it got to the part where I was talking about this. this you know, I like wheels, I like diagrams that make things simple. We were talking about the spiritual maturity wheel. And, you know, it starts with spiritually dead. You know, And it's, talk, it's talking about life group leaders. When you have somebody in your life group, you want to identify where they're at, not so you can judge them, say, so, aha, you're this or that. No, but you understand where they're at spiritually so that you can help them because you don't help a baby the same way as you help a grown man, right? So it starts out spiritually dead. What do you do to the spiritually dead? You tell them about Jesus so they get spiritually alive. You know, that's all you can do for them, no matter nothing you can do to help their behavior because their their sin nature is to sin okay so you recognize that but the first thing once you give your heart to jesus you're a babe in christ i don't matter if you're 96 years old you're still just a little baby in christ and you don't know a lot of things about god because you hadn't walked with him and you got a lot. you need people to help you grow feed you milk and stuff right you need help then you then you become a child as you progress hopefully you progress because some of those 92-year-olds that are babes in Christ are 112 and they're still babes in Christ. But, but you become a baby. and But you, you know as a child you're still me, mine, not mine. You're not having it, right? And it's still all about you. And so that's fine that we have some babies in Christ in here. I'm glad we got babies back in the nursery. I'm glad we got kids back there, right? But we're trying to mature them. Spiritually, and you know, we're hoping they grow up regularly, naturally. And but then, when then you get to be like a, a a young person or a young adult, and as you do, you begin to say, "Well, I've got to discover my purpose in li- this life." And you begin to think, and and then you begin to care for others a little bit more. Your selfishness, as your child goes away, and you begin to uh, invest in other people's lives, and then. After that stage, uh, are, are the ones who go on to full maturity in the Lord, who become like the spiritual parents in the church. Those who begin to say, "My life, I understand. I, I understand this whole thing." And, I, and I, let's let's get together and let's figure out how we can reach people for Jesus. Let's get together and see if we can't come up with a plan. Every every thought is is. They're God-given purpose in this world. And it's all about others. You know, none of us get to all about others. But we we get to a place where spiritual maturity, where we're thinking about others. But that's the whole thing. As we grow in Christ, I must decrease. He must increase. Less selfishness and hatred and, and more love and care and concern and compassion. That's maybe you identify yourself somewhere along in this wheel. You know, maybe you're growing and you're starting to say, hey, I'm learning some things in the Word of God and you're concerned about getting your life on track and everything. You'd be like, it's all about you right now. But that's okay because you're a a kid in Christ. You know, that's the season you're in. You do need to get yourself straight so you can help others. Right? But don't stay there. Continue to grow Spiritually. Don't reject your cross. The less we make this life about us, the greater we are in God's eyes. And the the Bible says because Jesus humbled himself, you know, he went to the lowest parts of the earth because it wasn't about him. Then God highly exalted him. That's the way to be exalted in the kingdom of God. So, number eight is, He trusted God through life and beyond. What do I mean? Well, when He was hanging on our cross and all our sins, He became all our sins. And God poured out His wrath against sin on Him and the anguish of His soul and His spirit. He never, never, had the Father turn His back on Him before. He had never experienced such rejection. His disciples had deserted Him. His best friend had ratted Him out. Just rejection at every turn. The dusty dogs of death was all around Him. And the, and the sin of the world was upon His shoulders and God was pouring out His wrath on His own Son for us. And Jesus said, My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me," His soul cried out in anguish, but just shortly after that, despite not feeling anything. And that's what faith is. It said, "Blessed is he who has not seen and believed, or not felt and believed, but just right after that, though he felt like he was totally alone. He still said, Father, into thine hands I commit my spirit. He still trusted because he had faith, even then it didn't feel like it. And some of us, we don't build our faith. We don't walk with God to the point where we have supreme trust in him and his ability to take care of us. We don't recognize that he has been taking care of us. We don't give him appreciation for all he's done. There's not a real, there's not a real recognition of him in our life. And what happens is, is we think when calamity strikes and tribulation will come, when somebody we love is on the death's door, or we're, we're about to lose this, our job, or whatever it is, then we feel like, well, I'll just work up my faith then. But that's not how faith works. Faith is not something that you work up. It's something that you live out. And that's something you need to be doing day by day. And because Jesus prayed, because He got in the Word and found out who God said He was, and because He did all these other things, He didn't shirk His duties. He walked with God day by day. In His darkest hour, He was still able to say, When it didn't make sense. Which one of us hadn't had situations in our life that questioned our faith? Somebody died though you prayed. Can you still say. Into thy hands. I commit my spirit. Here I am in virtual torment. I am in. In hell, so to speak. But God, I'm trusting you with whatever comes next. He trusted God in this life and beyond. And then finally, the ninth thing is he he chose love in every circumstance. Of course, the Bible tells us that God is love, right? But isn't it refreshing to see someone who chooses love? love in every circumstance it's our road to greatness 1 Corinthians 13:13 13, 13 says three things will last forever faith hope and love and we find all of these in Jesus and the greatest of these is love and we never need to forget our why because the love is our why it's why we do things often I see people struggling in ministry. Their department is getting tired. You're getting tired. They've been, they're worn out. Not enough help in the nursery or this or that. And instead of getting in there with, yeah, yeah, God, no, it's just terrible. Let's, let's just all quit. I'll bring them over here to our why. Because we love God. We love his people, and we love his purposes. And that is the fire that stokes us. That is the drive. That's the engine in our car. And we love him because he first loved us. Love is the greatest. And when I said always do the right thing, the right thing is always to choose love. Love is the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. But I don't like my neighbor. He throws trash in my yard. Well, let's read the rest of 1 Corinthians 13. (laughs) Love takes no record of wrongs, you know. Love isn't a feeling. Love is a choice. And I choose to love like I've been loved. Amen. At least I hope I do. So Jesus came from Nazareth. A little small town. Had a bad reputation. Can any good thing come from Nazareth? But you only know the, the only reason we know the name of Nazareth is because of who came from there. So don't let your little small town, your little small background, your little small beginning, don't despise small beginnings. Don't let it, don't let them say, can any good thing come from there? You show them that I'm not, I'm not identifying with that. I'm identifying with God.